It may seem obvious, but the best person to design appropriate care for a community is someone from the community. A fact exemplified by these innovative projects featuring meaningful collaboration and co-design for services for our First Nations people. From up in Cairns to down in Metro North, the projects are unified by the fact that they are making strides towards closing the gap by providing care by mob, for mob. And that is the key. Thank you. Um, so what we'd like to share with you is our experience to providing dialysis in country uh, during the biosecurity restrictions specifically, but also what we've done as a service to try and bounce forward, not back, post the biosecurity restrictions being lifted and the pandemic lifting off a little bit to make sure that service that we've got is more resilient and is able to cope with any future hazards. <clears throat> so before we start, I just uh, would like to acknowledge the um, traditional owners on on whose land we're meeting today, and um, as as uh, recognise First Nation people and communities um, as traditional and cultural custodians of the lands on which we work on which we work to provide safe and quality health services. We pay our respect to elders, past, present, and emerging. Catherine, do you want to tell us a bit about Yarraba? Um, so uh, Yarraba is an Aboriginal community that's um, located 55 k's um, east of uh, Cairns. Um, the traditional owners are the Gaganji people and the population, um, according to the census in 2016, was uh, 2,559. However, we think that number's um, closer to uh, 5,000. Um, it has a high burden of uh, renal disease as well. And what's not, what's not explicitly stated on the slide is that although Yarrabah is only 55 kilometres away from Cairns, it experiences quite a lot of the health equity issues that places that are far more remote by distance experience, um, particularly in that the road to Yarrabah does not provide secure access year-round and is cut off by flooding probably 10 to 12 times in the average year. Uh, absolutely. And that's compounded by the fact that most of the clinicians that deliver clinical services in Yarrabah have to travel into the community and are not from inside the community itself. So when the road is cut off, that does make the health services quite vulnerable and can mean that services, particularly renal services, are lost or suspended for a short period of time. And it does have some significant issues with food security and things like that as well. So I'll give a little bit of a snapshot of what the dialysis unit looked like pre-COVID. Uh, it opened as a four-chair assisted care dialysis unit in 2013. Um, it was meant to transition to an assisted care model, but it's never quite got there and is still functioning essentially as an in-centre satellite. Uh, it has operated as a four-chair dialysis unit that's capable of dialysing up to eight patients, but the local demand is for somewhere between 14 and 16 patients, and it was around 16 patients when COVID hit. So that meant that eight patients were required to travel to Cairns for their dialysis, which is about an hour and a half round trip three mm -hmm. times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, so in March 2020, biosecurity restrictions meant that um, eight patients from Yarborough required renal dialysis would have to relocate to Cairns indefinitely for treatment until restrictions were lifted. Um, the restrictions had the potential to impact both life and access to dialysis for um, those eight patients that had to travel. Um, patients were required to, re to relocate to Cairns on a semi-permanent basis as they could not serve the 14-day quarantine um, that was required to return home, um, disconnecting them from family and country. 
um, the renal service had 48 hours notice um, to uh, notice that the restrictions would be imposed and uh, the clinicians, clinicians felt the impact of displacement would significantly impact their wellbeing and um, needed to be avoided where possible. Um, disaster management principles were applied to rapidly flex up service delivery uh, within Yarrabah. So I think it's quite easy now in 2022 to minimise um, the mindset or the impact that this <coughs> had at the time. We didn't know that restrictions are going to be lifted back off in June. Um, we didn't know how long this is going to last or what the impact is going to be. And as has already kind of been alluded, uh, I don't think that anybody who's living in a, an urban or a regional centre can truly appreciate the impact of being locked into a community and all of the things that trickle on from that. So we were really quite concerned as a, as a whole of treatment team about the, um, the social morbidity or the iatrogenic trauma that being brought to Cairns or being displaced indefinitely could have on those patients. And if I put myself into that situation, I may choose not to access care as an alternative to being displaced. Um, so uh, to minimise the risk of uh, displacement and deliver, and deliver care on country, during biosecurity restrictions on human movement um, and to utilise COVID-19 First Nations funding to deliver a sustained local response with infrastructure improvements to minimise the risk of exposure to COVID-19 and unnecessary travel and quarantine. Um, and the other thing that we look to do during this as well is to try and capture the strategies that were working well and to do what we could to retain those to build a more resilient uh, local health service that had the capability to weather future demand increases, disasters, and to be able to essentially provide more capacity in the local community to deliver care on country. And I think we did that reasonably successfully. Mm -hmm. So Catherine's team were really in charge of the immediate strategy, so I'll let you talk to those ones because you're on the ground at the time. So we had um, a... It, it, within that 48-hour turnaround, we went from an eight-hour shift to a 12-hour 12, 12 shift, and, um, and that went from the whole period of lockdown, and in the end we just found that it wasn't sustainable because um, in the end it was initially a 14-hour day, so staff would get up, um, you know, five o'clock to drive out to Yarraba at six and be there at seven and stay there till, till seven o'clock and then, then drive home. And so it was a, um, an extremely long day, and... Um, when the biosecurity had first been implemented in the community, one of the things that really um, was a powerful moment for me was at the end of um, a particular shift and driving back out. Um, the police station is at the bottom of the um, at the bottom of the range, and there was a lot of people in the community, and I was wondering why everyone was sort of gathering. And um, there was a truck and it was um, delivering meat um, for the community. So they had, um, they were handing out um, meat packages. And um, for me, it was, it was um, I remember thinking, wow, we're in 2020 and this is a community that's so close to Cairns and they're not able to get out and just get basic food. Um, it had to be delivered. And it, um, it, I found it quite striking that it was in, the, in front of the police station. And for me, it, it brought back, um, I thought about what my elders would have gone through, you know, back in the day. So um, I remember driving home and I just, I cried <laughs> the whole way home thinking that this was, um, this, that, yeah, that this was happening um, in this community. And I felt 
powerless to do anything to change that. So, you know, that's something that I'll take away from um, during that biosecurity uh, lockdown. One of the things that Catherine flagged up within probably the first six to eight weeks uh, was obviously that for 12-hour shifts we're not sustainable and there's significant risk of clinician burnout fairly early on. Mm -hmm. And again, we didn't know how long this is going to last, so we needed to come up with some sustained strategies. Um, and what we really identified is that to make this work, we needed to be able to dialyse everybody on the same shift. So we leveraged our very um, effective local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health unit to market our service and to go forth and secure some funding for a capital improvement. Essentially what we needed to do was expand the unit to be able to deliver dialysis for everybody. So we needed to get up to being a seven to eight chair unit, um, which we did. It was a, a bit of a struggle. And I think one of the takeaways from this is that you can't just drop in a renal unit into any space. It just doesn't work. Um, there's plumbing, there's power, there's drainage, you know, there's the ergonomics. Um, storage. Storage. <laughs> storage is a big thing. There's a lot of consumables. Um, and I know that we had some legacy issues with the old build because it was put together rapidly and it wasn't, it was probably not really fit for purpose. And what we sought to do is try and get rid of all the legacy issues when we expanded the unit. But as Catherine kind of describes it, it's like moving to t tiny house living. Like you get something out of the drawer, you've got to put it back in the drawer before you can get past the drawer kind of thing. Yep. But at the end of the day, we do have something that is actually a little bit more scalable. Um, and we've been able to provide a proof of concept to successfully bid within our own health service to secure ongoing activity-based funding to make that service recurrent which is probably one of our biggest concerns of establishing something on country, is you don't want to then withdraw it when the pandemic ends. So we are nothing without our partnerships. Um, I'm going to start from the ground up. So for the Yarrabah residents, and you'll talk a little bit more about this in a couple of minutes of some of the feedback, but this was a really disruptive period. So we worked in close partnership with them to help design a service that better met the needs of the community. And they were incredibly resilient and quite accommodating with some of the things that had to happen and the inconveniences that occurred as a result of us going through that process. Groni Yalamaka are our local partners on the ground and we share the health infrastructure in Yarrabah with them. And they gave up their meeting room so that we could expand our dialysis unit, which was quite generous given that there really probably isn't enough space in Yarrabah for everything that everybody would like to do. Um, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health unit provided us with a lot of project support and assist the governance, but also helped market us. And we don't market ourselves well as clinicians to get the funding we needed to keep this going. Um, our renal service, although it sounds like I guess we're spooking our own, the service was quite proactive around trying to support Catherine and the team in Yarrabah. People put their hands up to pick up shifts from various mm -hmm. satellites. But I think that collective vision, that care on country or care closer to home is what drives us, is what led the service from the top down to make this work. Um, the public health unit in Yarrabah Aboriginal Shire Council had the unpleasant task of actually having to manage the lockdown. And I don't know if we'll ever see a lockdown like that again, but they had to work hand in glove to manage the biosecurity clearances for staff to come in and deliver essential services as well, which, as Catherine kind of explained to me, you don't ever want to be that staff member that brings it into the community. So, you know, dealing with a lot of anxiety for the people mm -hmm. that are travelling in and out as well. And lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Queensland Nurses and Midwives Union, who are quite agile in assisting us to navigate the consultation and the industrial issues with changing shift patterns, 
um, and working arrangements and things like that at extremely short notice. Do you want me to talk to this one? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I can race this. <laughs> so just quickly, benefits and outcomes. Um, essentially, those eight Yarrabah residents that used to leave Yarrabah did not have to throughout the pandemic and are still able to dialyse on country. Uh, nobody is displaced from community in Yarrabah that needs to dialyse there. And we've now got a scalable model that can meet demand. It's truly probably an all-hazards approach. It can meet the demand for a cyclone or a flood to mm -hmm. do rapid dialysis, and we can weather another pandemic if we need to. The biggest thing, I think, is that we've got to pay for it. So we've demonstrated the, the cost-benefit of this. Um, for this year, we're on track to deliver an extra 115 weighted activity units, which is worth about $560,000, for a projected total cost of $232,000. Yes, it is actually that efficient, and care on country does not have to cost the earth. And lastly, um, beyond the pandemic, we've saved each of those residents six hours of travel time a week, mm -hmm. not including the 15 hours they spend on dialysis. And that's time that they can connect with their community, they can be present. Uh, it reduces the social morbidity associated with being on dialysis. And just uh, finally, um, with the patient feedback, um, as you can see, that uh, majority of it was just not having to travel, that they, um, it was easier for them to stay with their family and not being away, especially during the, those uncertain times. Um, dialysing in Yarraba is a lot easier, less travel time and staying connected with family. And I was happy I didn't have to travel and be away. So, yeah. so thank you for um, allowing us to present. I'm quite pleased to be here. But I also hope that this demonstrates that care on country doesn't have to cost the earth and it challenges other services to really look at their models and look at how they can grow their services on country yep. sustainably. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.